but never ever get boring Rounding up the humorous stuff in the news About Mormons, can't wait to see which one will they choose Greetings, everyone. It's another episode of This Week in Mormons slash Latter-day Saints slash members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am your intrepid host, Jeff Openshaw. Happy to be here. If you haven't visited us online before, please go to thisweekinmormons.com and do so. Uh, subscribe to our podcasts, this very one, on Apple or Google or Spotify or TuneIn or whatever you like to use or uh, Stitcher even. And uh, I'm going to put the plug in early. If you haven't supported us on Patreon, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash This Week in Mormons. If you go there, you can pledge a buck a month to help us keep the lights on. And it would mean the world and you'll get special shout outs and a feeling of doing good in the world. What more could you want? So that's that part. Happy this week to be joined once again by the indomitable, I always say that word inappropriately, Devin (laughs) Thorpe is here. It is an honor to join you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be back. I look forward to this. I'm grateful that my turn came up again. I think Devin is like the nicest person to ever be on this show. That I am sure that is not true. But, you know, I've spent 20 years trying to learn not to be a jerk. Um, How do you feel you're doing with it? I, I, I'm getting closer. I, I recommitted about two years ago. And I, the measure of how well I'm doing is that people have started giving me free stuff. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Like I'm nice to people like at taco time and like they give me dinner for free. Uh, that's because you're just the first customer they've had in weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's probably time. true. It's a customer. <laughs> Let's feed him for free. Yes, yeah, so it's probably that. But I've been thinking that it was because I was nice to them. Um Instead of calling them idiots uh, for getting my order wrong, uh, I smile and I'm nice. And it seems to work better. I Go don't figure. know why. Isn't that funny? Seems, I'm pretty sure if, if Jesus w- were here now, he would not berate the f- people of the service industry for messing up an order. I'm pretty sure he would be thoughtful and compassionate. He would be, you know, that's, that's a, you know, for a Mormon podcast, that is a good observation to make. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for living such a life that I'm capable of pointing this out. <laughs> yeah. Right. A, I am of course to be emulated in all ways because I managed to not berate the taco time lady. My goal on this episode is to, to suck up to you so much <laughs> through the entire hour that, that you feel extremely awkward by the end. That is the hope. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jeff. Well, it's nice to have you here, man. Um, life life good? What's going on with you and uh, both professionally, personally? What's, yeah. what's happening? So since my last visit with you, uh, I went to Guatemala and Honduras. Great adventure there. Did some volunteer work in Guatemala. I worked on some stories for Forbes and uh, an op-ed that I wrote for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, oh, Pretty just really? some amazing stuff. So. Um, are you allowed to talk about the op-ed that's not yet published? Or? Yeah, I'm hoping it'll be out any day. Uh, the The opinion editor has green-lighted it, uh, but he didn't tell me when it would post, so it could be any minute now. But uh, yeah, so I, you know, the... I just made the argument for being good to Hondurans uh, in Honduras to slow the flow. Um, whether you are thinking we should close the border tighter or whether you think we should loosen things up at the border to let in more, um, in either case, we ought to be agreeing on more aid, more support, more help for people. Wait in a minute. Devin, are you actually suggesting that we try to help solve the problem at its root so that we're not just putting Band-Aids on all the time? It's a crazy idea, isn't it? Get out of town. Yeah. That's why I had to go to that crazy publication, the Salt Lake Tribune, to get them to print such a crazy, radical idea. You love the Salt Lake Tribune. I bet if they became publicly traded, you would be the majority shareholder. Uh, probably not rich enough to do that. Uh, I don't well, know. I, no, feel, I, I feel. I feel. I feel like they're, they're out of. They're out of business now. They're a nonprofit, so I guess I, I feel would. like their market values decline yeah. quite a bit. Actually, yeah. so. it'd be a penny stock. I could own a lot of shares. But, <laughs> you can buy uh, it on Robinhood. I, I love. You're right. I do love the Salt Lake Tribune. No, they have good. Right. I mean, Salt Lake Tribune is winning Pulitzers. When was the last time the Deseret News did that? They, you know, there. I have. 
one of the very best articles I ever got from any newspaper ever in the pantheon of stories was a, uh, an article in the Deseret News by a very young, just cub reporter that has since left. She went to Cambodia to work on, I can't remember who she's working for in Cambodia of all the places, the, but the Khmer Rouge. But she, yeah, I, I kind of don't think so. But she wrote this spectacular uh, 4,000 word obituary for a homeless man that was just the maybe the best thing I've ever read in a newspaper. Wow. Just phenomenal. So I, I, I give it to give props where due to the good old Deseret News. Um, but I do find myself chuckling sometimes at their coverage, but. Yeah, you know, they, I mean, they, they 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 take they're taking things seriously. They try hard, and and kudos when they do. Well, and they are. I mean, the media landscape in Utah is, of course, very interesting. I went to uh, back in I think January. Um, Deseret News sponsored this evening with uh, Elder Christofferson and Bob Woodward of Watergate fame. Oh wow! Because because. People don't realize that uh, Elder Christofferson was deeply involved in Watergate. He clerked for the main judge that oversaw most of the cases that came. So he was intimately aware of everything going on. Uh, so it was, about, it was about a lot of stuff, you know, ethics and trust and the role of government and the role of the media and all sorts of things. And it was a good evening. But I, I also very much saw it as a huge swing by Deseret News to obtain more national cred I guess we would yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I, to my knowledge, they haven't done a ton of things at this scale before. And they had it at the museum in the big auditorium, you know, massive banner. It was, they, they rolled out everything for this event. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Listeners might remember when I talked about it before, of course, I met, I met McKay Coppins for the first time. And McKay Coppins is God, as we all know. So <laughs> I actually went to high school with his parents. Really? Yes. So I'm, do you know them well? Can you get another in? Because it is diff- it is difficult to yeah. lock down the McKay front. I, I invited him to be on my show, uh, and he said yes, and then dropped off the radar. So my only guess is he said yes before he figured out who I was. <laughs> Typical McKay. But, no follow-up. But I, I need to follow up with him. Now that I've had Bill Gates on my show, maybe I can convince him that it's That's, a, that's a good feather in your cap right there. It's pretty easy to... I mean, you should get Jeff Bezos on and see how that goes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. He, he's uh-huh. not really quite the humanitarian that uh, Bill Gates is. But he is, Devin. He has these wonderful facil- fulfillment centers that employ people and still boost the local economy in non-controversial ways. <laughs> yeah. There's no controversy at Amazon. No. No. It's, it's exempt. None whatsoever. But you, you folks, you didn't tune in to hear about that or to tune in to... Hear Devin and I talk about the Democratic primary or anything along those lines, even though we probably could for a whole solid two hours and have a grand time doing it. Yeah. No, no. You are here to hear about Latter-day Saint relevant news. And that is what I want to give all of you. And I will lead off with the new youth theme for 2020. Uh, if you've been following our general coverage of youth-related items, you might remember that uh, just last week or two weeks ago, the church teased out a bit more information about uh, the the full new youth program and the one for kids. It's just and it's just called Children and Youth, which we joked was an SEO ploy because the church is taking such an SEO hit for ditching LDS.org mm-hmm. that they might as well be very, very on the nose with what the new programs are called for search reasons. But uh, anyway, we still don't know all the de- details. There's going to be that uh, second hour broadcast on September 29th that we'll go over that in greater detail. But we do have a theme. And the theme isn't like as much a slogan as much as a mission statement, I guess. But I guess that's fine for theme. So the theme is strictly First Nephi 3.7. And if you're not familiar with the scripture, that is one of the classic uh, uh, seminary scriptures, scripture chase type scriptures, as they say. And it's when Nephi uh, recoils because he's supposed to kill Laban to obtain the gold, the uh, brass plates. And he recoils. He doesn't want to do it. And But it says, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go. Oh, no, sorry. This isn't that part. Never mind. 
I don't know the scriptures, Devin. This one well, yeah, right it's here. it's uh, it is in that context, right? It's in that it, context. This one he says it to his father. This is when his father, this is when Lehi commands him to go and get the brass plate, yes, and he said, so "No, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded." For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. And you're right. That is the new theme. You're you're right, Jeff. The fulfillment of that prophecy, if you will, is that uh, Laban was presented to Nephi uh, to be murdered, to be killed. Um, I like the way you put it there. I present to you for murder. Yes, yes. Please, please murder Laban. And, I offer you for tribute. Yeah. And you know, I I really don't have a a problem. I mean, obviously, how do you how do you have a problem with scripture? But but you know, as we look at scriptures, um, we often take them out of context, and this is one that we frequently yeah. talk, take out of context. If you asked if you asked the mo- typical sixteen year old. Uh, the context of this scripture, they would not be able to tell you that story. Uh, I think I could be wrong, but I think you don't most... think they'll know Nephi just li- obeying his dad and just going to get the pl- like. What what do you think they wouldn't? I think it's a pretty as far as known stories from the Book of Mormon. I feel like that's pretty high. But why, yeah. why do you think that? But I just don't, I don't think they draw the connection to uh, the death of Laban. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. right and. It is that connection that does give me pause uh, as we think about young men who are the most frequent perpetrators of mass shootings being told to go and do what the Lord commands, even up to and including killing someone. That's a scary connection to make in these days. And so I would not if, if I were asked my opinion, I would not use the scripture for a youth thing. They didn't ask so, me, though. Can you believe that? They didn't ask me. I know. Why don't they? I I mean, you've interviewed Bill Gates. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> why, um, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't well, they? well, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I've, I feel like you'd have to take it to a, it is an extreme situation in the scriptures when, you know, the, the spirit says, you know, to Nephi, like you, he's been delivered here to you. This is what you need to do. The Lord is. This is. This is the means. This is the end of the means, right here, or the means to the end. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, do, do you worry that there's like too many troubled young men who are going to see this as a youth theme and say, "Ah, I have decided that God told me to go on a killing spree." Uh, is that kind of how we're? Not, yeah, we're, we're yeah. That's the, that. That's the thing. And you say, well, you know, it's unlikely. Of course, it's unlikely. But if one kid with an assault rifle, and let's be clear, the Mormon culture overlaps with the gun culture pretty pretty well, uh, yeah, I think there's a real risk of having um, having someone out there use this as part of a. I mean, you know, I, heaven forbid this is in somebody's manifesto six months from now, right? They post oh. right before they, you know, get out their assault rifle. And I like to that. think that anyone knowing the youth theme and being on board like this would n- not be imbalanced in such a way that this would happen. I mean, I, I think it, it could promote extremism, as you say, but I also hope that if we teach it the right way, you know, people would recognize the signs and recognize, you know, when you're not receiving real inspiration. I don't know. I, I'm I, I'm with where you're coming from, Devin, but I don't know if I fully agree that it's yeah, it, yeah, it's I, so problematic that it might lead to destruction. Yes, and clearly, smarter people than I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I once went to a meeting at the church uh, office building, so you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, it is. It is a very interesting choice. It's, a, it's trying to teach. Now, obviously, the purpose behind it is to give kids faith to do the things which the Lord asks, which mm-hmm. is which is in general on the po- on the more positive affirming side. Oh, my gosh. Yes. A tough thing to do increasingly as the years go by. 
And so I, I fully imagine they are hoping to kind of double down on that and really teach the kids to have faith, to listen to the spirit. And even if they don't understand things, to follow those promptings. Ideally, those promptings will be positive ones with yes. positive outcomes. Yes. Uh, and, I, and that's that's certainly a worthwhile endeavor. I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think we could say otherwise. So, no, we'll, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Those there is so there no go. gospel teaching that I am afraid that the kids will learn. No legitimate gospel principle that I'm afraid that they will learn and keep that would bother me. Um, it is the extrapolation from that context that concerns me. Yeah. Well, there we go. There you go. It's your turn now, Devin. You oh, you want me to come up here? Um, Do it. uh, Speaking of this, uh, you know, I think one that's fun is that came up this week is uh, Robert Kirby, uh, who is uh, infamous in Mormon circles. Uh, He's sort of a commentator, columnist, funny guy for the Salt Lake Tribune. Wrote, I thought a really profound uh, article this week, little column. And it came, it was built around um, a quote from H.L. Mencken, uh, who said, we must respect the other fellow's religion, but only in the sense and to the extent that we respect his theory that his wife is beautiful and his children smart. And, and I thought that was a, a perfect point. Basically, what he went on to say, what Kirby went on to say in the article is, in essence, we should be kind in our criticisms and critiques uh, of other people's religion just because we care about them. And to the extent that we don't really care what they think about us, then uh, we should insult their religion with the same readiness we might insult their beauty of their wives or the brains of their children, which is to say, we wouldn't do that. I mean, we just wouldn't do that in polite company. I thought it was really um, a good reminder. Of course, some people would say Kirby insults their religion a lot, but (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's a good, good rule. The one they all share. Yeah. Good rule of thumb uh, to to seek to follow. I think it makes sense. Um, I'm not always on the Kirby bandwagon this, but this was a bit more of a thoughtful piece. I mean, he's their humor columnist, but I thought this was definitely just a more legitimate piece. Why would we want, I think religion is such a, it's such an intrinsic part of who we are. It's, it's a lot different than insulting more, you know, one's political views or things that can evolve and not that religious views can't evolve, but I think they're more fundamental to who we are. Yeah. And, 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 and of course, as we've seen though, to speak of politics, Increasingly, we become polarized with politics, and politics are also becoming something with which we deeply identify and start to see, you know, us and them, and all that kind of thing. And and we've done that with religion in the past. Uh, mankind has not been shy about that uh, by any means, but I do think we're better off by not trying to adopt an us and them mentality, and instead just have the mentality of us, because we're all God's children, even if we. Yep have different views of the doctrines and the truths and the things to get there. It's a uh, yeah, good find. Devin. Yes. Good yeah. find. I thought it was an interesting piece. Uh, and it, and there are some clever lines in it for those who want to read it. Yeah. 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 So uh, that was pretty good. I appreciate that. I was intrigued by this piece that came out over at religious uh, religion news, the religion news service, uh, which prime most Latter-day Saints are familiar with likely because of Jana Reese's column on there, but they publish all sorts of different things. So in their press release service, they have published a nice little, basically an op-ed by John Saunders. And uh, it's interesting. So he takes a while to get spun up, but he clarifies early on that he's not a member of any religious denomination. He's not a member of our church in particular, or of any Mormon sect that believes in Joseph Smith. He's not trying to promote the LDS church or any other Latter-day Saint sect. But the gist of it, as you go on to read, is simply saying the Bible contains truth, and God owns truth, and God is capable of putting truth in other avenues— and they're basically vouching for the Book of Mormon as it goes on and saying, look, the Book of Mormon teaches us good things that are of God. Put it to the test and you will see that it is of God. But what I find very compelling is that he is in no case making the argument 
to uh, gr- you know adhere to the church to join the yeah, church yeah. or or be a part of it. Um, he's sort of trying to go beyond that, which isn't something we do much in our church, especially because belief in the Book of Mormon is like the fundamental thing that you're doing as a missionary. It's the big thing with missionary tools. It is pray about this, because if this is true, then all the other stuff we're telling you Must be is true. true. Yeah. And the writer is saying, well, that's not what I'm here to. I'm just here to find good and God where it is. But I think it's very rare, I feel like, we find those who are admittedly loving the Book of Mormon and believe it is true, but do not want to go the distance and believe in Joseph Smith or the church. What's interesting is he seems also to believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. He he seems mm-hmm. committed to being uh, independent of religion, but at the same time, it seems fully convinced that uh, Joseph Smith taught messages that were divine, which is really an interesting, interesting uh, take. And so I wonder what it is that prevents him from wanting to take it the extra step that one normally would. Um, I think it comes did, from something that happened before he got to this point, right? I think he decided, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, or some other variation yeah, of that, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I'm not a joiner, but I am a believer. Uh, I will seek truth where it comes. And I think that is really interesting. I do. I now we just got to get him to join the church now. His area, he's put his phone number up there. It's 435. So he's in Utah somewhere that's not the Wasatch Front people. Yeah. So go to Brigham City or uh, what Nephi <laughs> and find him. Yeah. And bring him home. It's got to be very weird being a Latter-day Saint in uh in Utah, especially if you're somewhere like in the 435 because those are less urban areas and so they're more heavily LDS yeah. I think in general. Yeah. And that must be an interesting dynamic. I imagine if you're not a Latter-day Saint getting by in Salt Lake City even despite the church's outsized presence is not too big of a deal. I mean Salt, you know, Salt Lake is Salt Lake. But uh, it's got to be a lot different when you're essentially in like, you know, Manti <laughs> or Ephraim or any of these towns and you happen to be the Yeah. the one outlier. And then you say I believe in your book but I don't want to join the church, which is the exact opposite of that, uh, you know, the Vicenzo book movie. You know what I'm talking about, Vicenzo, right, Devin? No, Vicenzo. Uh, oh, the classic church movie, which name is on the tip of my tongue, and I always forget, uh, the true story of this Italian, he was an Italian preacher, he was not Catholic, I believe he was Methodist, I want to say. Uh, he went to the States for a while, and when he was there, he found a book that had no cover, which was a copy of the Book of Mormon, uh, and he read the whole thing. He eventually went back to Italy. He was disciplined. You know, he was disbarred from his clergy and all those sorts of things. And it took him a long time to realize what the book actually was and what it meant. And eventually, much later in his life, he was finally able to get baptized when he found the church and like made contact with a random 70 that was based some like in England and made it all work out. But it's yeah. a phenomenal tale. But it's a story of someone who found the Book of Mormon and that alone carried him all the way to to us as opposed to just liking the book but he used it in his preaching he didn't know much about it or where it was from but he knew it was true so he was preaching from it at methodist services um and that kind of you know got him in trouble interesting i'm totally vicenzo what's his name i feel like i uh, am a bad mormon because i don't know i don't know that story vicenzo di francesca how rare a possession that's what the movie's called yeah see that i think that's a generational thing uh, oh come on! You're not that much older than me. I just man. missed it, I, you know, because I'm a year ahead of you in in Sunday school. That's probably it. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I it. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just barely missed the cutoff for seeing that in Sunday school or something. All right, move along. All righty. So uh, you, I I found this really fascinating piece in a similar vein uh, this week, and there are three of these stories I think on our list to chat about, but the, this one was kind of, a woman by the name of uh, Hannah Krieg uh, that is writing a blog at the University of Washington. I guess it's just a column for the University of Washington paper, the, the Daily. Uh, mm-hmm. And she uh, is kind of uh, a free spirit. And 
has been really critical of people who just accept their parents' religion. Uh, she kind of stepped away from her roots as a Catholic, and she's taking kind of the view that everybody should revisit why they believe what they believe. And so she decided she would visit a bunch of other churches. And interestingly, her first excursion was a visit to a Mormon church. And uh, I was really nervous when I saw it. So that, oh, that, that could be. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Um, you know, the, the, the patterns in the Catholic church and Mormon church are pretty different. Uh, and I'm not an expert on Catholic tradition, but they're pretty different. And yet she came away and she said, uh, she was nervous. She did. She felt very much outside of the group when she got there, but she introduced herself to someone who was roughly her age, who was very kind and then introduced her to some single guys, introduced her to the bishop, some of the other women in the ward. And so she really came away feeling like she'd had a good social experience, I think. And she also said, genuinely, I felt good after the service. She said, maybe that's not a spiritual experience yet, but hey. Um, And she then said the bishop said he would mail her a copy of the Book of Mormon. Uh, And she said... uh, these people were game show host level happy. Uh, I envied them. I wanted to feel something. Uh, I, I wanted to feel about something the way they felt about God and each other. Um, I say, wow, you know, wouldn't that be great if everybody who visited our wards felt like we were all game show host level happy? I don't always leave church feeling that way. Uh, sometimes I do, but I don't always. And I think, man, that that's what we ought to aspire to. Uh, I want to know for, uh, for our listeners who have young kids like I do, because the hardest thing for me at church is one, like, you know, corralling them through sacrament meeting and making that work. Okay. And then not wanting to have them disturb anybody else. But then after that, it's, you know, I, I don't, we don't have much time to linger and do the usual chatting and fellowshipping, you know, it's kind of like one of us takes one kid to nursery and I take the other kid to the bathroom and then take him to primary or whatever. And then we just go to class. So, um, I've struggled more in that area because I just feel like I don't have the time post sacrament meeting to do some of the usual visiting. And it's not like that's the only place and, you know, and time to do that. But, uh, but for me, that's been a struggle. I feel much more insular of late. Like yeah. we're just kind of there. We're our little pod. We're getting it done. We take care of the things. And of course, once we get dump the kids off, we can socialize a little bit more. Someone actually, now that I mentioned this, we were in Sunday school this past week. Uh, my wife used to be in the young women's presidency until recently. And her old president was behind us and tapped us. And she was like, you guys look bored without the kids during Sunday school. And it just kind of made us laugh. Like we looked so sedate without without young children to worry about. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm not doing very well at the whole uh, social. I'm thing. sure you're doing fine. You're doing great. I don't know. I could do better. Also, of interest, one funny thing to think about. This was in Seattle, which is my favorite city in the country, basically. But uh, Seattle is a notoriously difficult place to break into new social groups. I've done studies on this that Seattle residents are just, they take the longest to warm up to newbies. Uh, But I would hope that our beloved Latter-day Saints break the mold a bit. So imagine how much more the, the Mormons stand out for their friendliness and being inviting somewhere like Seattle, where it's already a little bit, just a little bit harder to kind of break in yeah. people. So. And I've been to church in Seattle and the members are very, very nice. I was in, we went to, there's one in the Ballard neighborhood. I wonder if she went there. I don't know. Um, anyway, like how, like the bishop was a graphic designer and half the ward worked for Amazon. So who knows? It was totally different. Yeah. Very weird yeah. vibe. Also, she needs to fix her headline. It says, visiting the church of Jesus cursed <laughs> of Latter-day Saints. I don't ask a lot of you, Hannah Krieg. But uh... I do ask that you... And that's not even exclusive to my church. I could also get on her case and tell her to, you know, lowercase the D in day. Yeah. But no, I'm going to worry more about the whole. Yeah. You're right that uh, she's wrong, but that's only because the church is wrong uh, in its use of that lowercase D. 
Oh, let's talk about this. Why is that the case? Yeah, it's just the, the convention is capital D. Uh, the, the it would be, but wouldn't it be because if it's a, I don't know. Yeah, I read once why they did it. Because I mean, if it, the hyphen I get, because the hyphen makes it a compound adjective, because you there's no such thing as a day saint. Mm-hmm. So you have to hyphenate it mm-hmm. to for have it make sense. But now, because because other churches don't lowercase the D of of the Latter Day Saint offshoots, correct? There are some that keep it uppercase, and there are some that don't have a hyphen. So. Why Why do we do it? Yeah, that? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. And uh, it doesn't matter in my mind why we do it this way. Uh, certainly the church is allowed to, to do whatever it wants in its own name. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, grammatically, you would conventionally capitalize the second word in a hyphenated connection like that. I'm gonna, I'm looking this up on Wikipedia, which, funny enough, the article we just talked about made a little bit of a joke that said uh, the author said that she only knew much about the church from seeing the Book of Mormon, from what she gleaned from that, and she said, "I imagine that that musical is to Mormons as Wikipedia is to academics." Yeah, that's right. So that was <laughs> great line. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. Now, okay, I'm gonna read a little paragraph here. Adoption of the current name. Since we're on topic. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you'll indulge me, so in quote in the late. 1830s, Smith founded a new headquarters, Joseph Smith, in far west Missouri. At far west on April 26th, 1838, Smith recorded a revelation from God, renaming the organization the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Latter-day, two words, no hyphen, uppercase D. The church was known by this name until after Smith's death in 1844. Occasionally, the name would be written with a hyphen between the words latter and day. After Smith's death, Latter-day, competing Latter-day Saint denominations organized under the leadership of a number of successors. The largest of these was, of course, led by Brigham Young, and it continued using the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, separate words, uppercase, until incorporation in 1851 by the legislature of the provisional state of Deseret, when the church standardized the spelling of its name as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. With a hyphenated Latter-day and a British style lowercase d. Ah, yes, that makes sense. So I think. Yeah. So was that just for fun? That was just for funsies, then I yeah, guess. Yeah. Well, no, I think um, even today, right? British and, and U.S. grammar is a little bit different, and I, yeah, I run into yeah. that all the time as a writer. I'll see people using British conventions, and the biggest one that really annoys me that it's different because I really wish we would use the same is whether or not the period goes inside the quotes or outside Brits say it goes outside American convention is inside. Uh, so yeah, right. they, they followed the British convention. Uh, the, the U S convention is capital D, but so at I least wonder, makes sense. I would, it makes sense. I would love for some of those well-versed in church history to offer even greater insights than that. Like why did we opt for the British yeah. version of that. When we are an American-founded church, as far as I know, we don't adopt, like you said, British terminology and other yeah. things that we, we do. Don't. It's not like our website for the church is written in British English right. or anything yeah. like that, yeah. at least not the, not the local. And in 1851, uh, the website was not in British English. Absolutely true. It also did not exist. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, that's compelling. So why just go, why Why a lower, what's the reference yeah. here? J. Rube, okay, the reference is law and the church. Anyways, this is going to, I'm not, this is going to be my rabbit hole. Okay. This is going to be Good. Enjoy rabbit. your trip down that rabbit hole. Thank you. All right. Keep talking about things people care about. Okay. Right? I'm going to, let me, while you travel down, let me give the, the third of this week's uh, non-Mormons takes on Mormons uh, with uh, uh, the article I found of uh, let's see, what's his name? Uh, oh no, it's a woman. Emily Newman uh, went to the Hill Cumorah pageant. She describes herself as a humanist. She's writing for a publication called The Humanist, which quite frankly, I had never before read. Um, and she went to the Hill Cumorah pageant to see what she would think of it. And uh, I think it's fair to say uh, she didn't love it, but her crit- her critiques were soft, and her uh, a lot of what she said was very kind about how nice people were and how the um, everyone in the cast visited with the guests. 
her her highest praise was for the people who uh, organized the parking because they made sure that all the people who were headed north parked on one side and all the people headed south on the other side so everyone could leave uh, more efficiently. She was very impressed by that strategy. Uh, she didn't think much of the plot of the uh, Ilkamora pageant, and uh, I get that. You know, for those of us of the faith, it's so moving, so emotional. All of these stories just... They, they speak to us um, and we don't need to see hear, or understand the whole story for it to resonate. We just need highlights to take us through all these places and events and to see it sort of acted out is moving. But I can see how if you're not familiar with the Book of Mormon, this is, it's kind of moving around all these different guys. And Anyway. But her prey, you know, generally she had a very good experience, was impressed by the sets, impressed by the the lighting, the scale of the whole pageant. Oh, yeah. Um, so anyway, it was interesting. I've seen the pageant a couple of times myself. And uh, so I recognized all of the, her observations. Uh, yeah. I've got to go. I think Kurt and I talked about this a little bit last week, but yeah, I need to go to the pageant. It's got one more year. Yeah. After this. Yeah, it, it's worth going. I'm sure there will be a lot of people like you that say, okay, I pack up and go to upstate New York once. And that's what I'm worried about. Next year, it'll be crazy. I just yeah. want to have a peaceful, casual time going there. It'll probably be bonkers. I mean, the the one hotel in Palmyra is going to sell out. I'll get stuck staying in Rochester. Ugh. Yeah, it'll be horrible. Have you been, yeah. to, have you been to Ro- Ro- Rochester's given us exactly one good thing. <laughs> What's that? Wegmans. Wegmans. That's the one good thing. <laughs> That's it. Wegmans is a great grocery store. Wegmans, Wegmans is the best. See, a lot of people in Utah say, no, Harmons is the best. Gro-. No, no. Wegmans. Harmons wishes you could be Wegmans. Wegmans is the greatest grocery store in the world. I have never seen anything like it. I agree. It's incredible. I agree. All righty. Oh, by the way, I found a little bit of extra information according to the ex-Mormon Reddit. So take that for what you will. But they argue the Strangite Church of James Strang from way back when yeah. actually owned the trademark to latter-day two-words uppercase. Uh-huh. And so when we were incorporated under Utah Charter, uh, we could not use it. And then eventually they sold—they might have sold some of that to the Hendrickites, which have—they're uh, the ones that, by the way, if you go to—if um, you remember, our URL is—what isn't it? If you go to— the we talked about this once on the show because you know how we're no longer lds.org it's now right. churchofjesuschrist.org yep. but i believe if you go to the churchofjesuschrist.org it takes you to the old like uh hendrickites yeah. website yeah. is it hendrickites right. anyway point the point is this might be an ip battle and basically other people owned it and who knows if the church ever will cuz doctrine and covenants as it stands originally says latter day is two words in uppercase sorry to get back on this but these are the kind of things i yes. can zero in on and i'm so glad you did uh, oh, our listeners are richer for it. Uh, every one of them is going to talk about this on Sunday in Priesthood and Relief Society this week. Um, I guarantee it. I'm pretty sure they've already tuned out. <laughs> so since they're not here, let's talk about some other things. The uh, groundbreaking for Brazil's 11th temple. We'll see how it shakes out in terms of dedication or sequence, but the Belém Brazil Temple. Belém is up on the Atlantic coast near the mouth of the Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it will. Didn't you? Did you serve a mission in Brazil? I did not, but I have been I to Belém, and it is. Uh, it's a fairly low-income community. Uh, it you know this is not a big prosperous city like Rio or Sao Paulo. Those have poor right. neighborhoods. Don't get me wrong, but you know those are big, yeah, sure. rich cities. Uh, Belém is not. Um, so this will really be, I think, a meaningful landmark uh, and quite a symbol of the church's presence in the community. Um, so that's exciting. Yeah. So it's going to happen on a Saturday, August 17th. So less than two weeks from now, they'll break ground on the temple. Uh, its design is kind of typical anonymous contemporary that we do in a lot of our buildings. That's that's what I've called no. that style. As, in case you as small as it is, it will be. Um, you know, it's like any other city. There are some skyscrapers downtown, but I'm sure this will be somewhere uh, more to the outskirts if we follow our patterns. And uh, well, I could probably, 
I could probably go to Church of Jesus Christ Temples real quick and find the exact location. Since you've been there, yeah, I will give you this information. Well, I probably can't make heads nor tails of that based on my two days in Berlin. But oh, shush, shush, you. <laughs> Well, I can tell you right now, it's off by some uh, some big street uh, near the ocean. Yeah. Well, I can see where it is on a map. There you go. There we go. I, it's it's Avenida, Avenida, Avenida Centenario, okay. Centenario, whatever they yeah, say. Yeah, whatever they say. Brazilian Portuguese. Anyway, good news for Brazil, man. They keep building stuff. Yeah. Um, another quick mention I'm just going to throw out there. Our own Jeff Borders published a quick rundown of some Come Follow Me resources that can make your personal study better. So simply put, he wanted to do a roundup of some YouTube channels, podcasts, uh, things like that, that follow the Come Follow Me manual and can just give you more uh, information. Very similar to what we used to do here with Sunday School Bonanza for longtime fans. Uh, when we'd spend about 15 minutes reviewing a gospel doctrine lesson because nobody ever read those manuals they handed out, you know, at the beginning of the year, the student manuals. Uh, and we did that for many, many years, and we don't do it anymore because I don't have the time. But so now you have these and use them. Just go. I'm not going to even plug them on here, except just go and uh, follow the link with this episode of thisweekinmormons.com, and you will find out. Now, now uh, I want to share what for me really is the. Um, my favorite story of the week. Okay. And uh, this is uh, a little thing I came across about horses in the Americas. Now, I think most people are aware that the Book of Mormon talks about horses. Which are tapers, as we all know. (laughs) Well, that's one of the explanations that people have used for what what did Joseph Smith uh, mean by the word horse? And uh, so some people have argued that it's other animals that were used in a horse-like manner. But a lot of anthropologists, excuse me, uh, paleontologists have have said, uh, or other people who dig stuff out of the dirt, I don't know, archaeologists, who are the people that dig out horse bones uh, from 2,000 years ago? I don't know who those people are. But the people who do that, who dig horse bones out of the dirt, have argued for the last century or so that there were no horses in the Americas during Book of Mormon periods, and therefore the Book of Mormon is incorrect. And some of my uh, skeptical friends, uh, I think, will be interested to note that there is new research that will resonate more, I think, with a lot of my lefty skeptical friends on this, um, though they will probably be skeptical of this themselves. Um, a Native American woman by the name of Yvette Running Horse, Yvette Running Horse Collins, published her PhD dissertation, and she is a obviously a Native American, and her dissertation uh, collected art, uh, fossils, uh, bones, and to me, most importantly, oral histories from all of the Native American tribes she could find. And, and the universal consensus of all the tribes was, we had horses. The Spanish did not bring horses. We had them. And um, that is really an interesting thing. And so they found uh, some artwork that seems to portray distinctly horses. Uh, she found uh, some other old things and, of course, these, these oral histories. And so it's an interesting new aspect to the research on uh, horses in America, which has particular salience to Latter-day Saints who... Um, you know, uh, sometimes feel like our Book of Mormon is sometimes criticized for its, uh, what do they call those? Anyway, what some people would call mistakes, right? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, um, an interesting thing to remember is Joseph Smith, I'm paraphrasing, but said essentially that uh, the scriptures, like especially the Doctrine and Covenants, but the scriptures in general, you know, the revelations he received were 
you know, being channeled through his verbiage, right? And that's especially pertinent to Doctrine and Covenants, where it is essentially him interpreting the will of the Lord and putting it into his language, right? So this was not the Lord necessarily dictating verbatim the words. And that's a really crucial qualifier. And I could see the same thing happening with Book of Mormon translation. He saw things and felt inspiration about things and used the best terminology that made sense at the time. Or it also, like you just said, might have actually just straight up been horses, actual horses, which is which is fine. This article makes a point to say that, you know, they found evidence of horses and, you know, through drawings and artifacts and various things that would, that are pre-Columbian and that are also in areas where the Spanish never colonized in the first place. And if the Spanish were to have brought horses over, how does this explain like the images of horses in what is now Alaska or the Yukon or something like that, where, where Spain never got to. So, this is a this is a pretty interesting article that you stumbled upon. I don't know how you found this one, but this is a this is a fun little. Oh, I have my ways. I have my ways. Sassy man, <laughs> my goodness. So uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. All right, let's get some quick ones knocked out here. Let's talk about the thirty day bay. Oh my gosh, which is the the worst thing to happen. Uh oh, unless the Washington Post is going to paywall me, in which case Devin will be telling you all. Yeah, the thirty day bay. That's a a uh, an interesting story. I had not realized that was a, a post story. Uh, is it all yeah, about Salt Lake City it. and and or you know Utah and their crazy, you know? Okay, I, I better not be the one to describe this because it's. Uh, let me just say it strikes me as you know, junior high, but okay. Uh, <laughs> it seems that basically they are, I'm trying to get onto what. Yeah. So what they do is they, they make people couples, they pair couples using some traditional ways and then they make them go on dates for a month um, as part of this pairing process. And they put it on a show, I guess it's a YouTube show. Um, and you know, in the first season, I think there were three couples, none of them got together. One lasted for three months. Uh, one didn't make it through the 30 days. Uh, they made it for a week. Uh, so, uh, anyway, um, I I should probably be more fond of these things. I should be more romantic. I'm a hopeless romantic. I should love this stuff. I don't, but I should. Uh, I, I think the saddest things to happen to film in the last decade is that no one makes good uh, romantic comedies anymore because I think that's the only good and true form of uh, genre of film. Um, so I had to watch Notting Hill for the 34th time this weekend because <laughs> uh, they just don't make enough Notting Hill. Um yeah, so I'm a hopeless romantic, but for some reason, this this dating silliness does not resonate with me at all. Well, we can't all be, you know, late '90s Hugh Grant and just sort of be, you know, bumbling over yeah. our words in a, in a fappish, yeah. charming way. But Notting Hill's a good show. Let me ask you this: totally only related to that, though. What do you think was the last good romantic? Thankfully, thankfully. Um, there was one this year, and it's been a couple of years since there was one I really liked. But this one is, um, what is the what was it called? Um, well, come back to it. I'll I'll, I'll remember, that? and I'll come back to you and tell you. But it no crazy, crazy rich, rich agent was good, but not that would not did not uh, was not the one I was thinking of. There was one this year that parody uh, hitch. Uh, um, romantic comedies, but was a romantic comedy, and I thought it was hysterical uh, and romantic. I don't. Um, I don't know what movie this was. I will figure it out. Well, well, I will let you ponder that. Just thank as I you. Ponder the yeah, yeah. I'll come back to us uh, over at over at Flunking Sainthood. We have a guest post by Met Harrison. Uh, an article entitled How to Be a Mormon in Just 73 Easy Steps. So bear with me now as I read one step per minute. <laughs> and, you know, um, I'm not going to go through all of these, 
The first one that she leads off on, of course, is to say never use the word Mormon in describing anything Mormon. Doing so is a win for Satan. Now, that's fine, but my main issue is in a lot of the less enthusiastic uh, Latter-day Saint crowd, the whole victory for Satan is is one of the first things they go to to sort of make fun of President Nelson's uh, counsel to demormonize ourselves. So, okay, fine, but I feel like it kind of sets up herself as, as what kind of author she is out the get-go. Anyway, uh, jokes about eating meat sparingly because, of course, the word of wisdom, we focus primarily on not having coffee, tea, or alcohol and very little on actually eating grains and meat sparingly, and we yes. pick out and eat our sugar and As a foods. vegan, I sort of empathize um, with gosh. her mockery there, but... Never use a curse word if you need a library of faux swear options. Watch Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite multiple times. I have visited the house. Public. Have you I visited like the Napoleon also, Hill house or Napoleon Dynamite house? You know, I, I I can't lie to you, buddy. Going up to Preston, Idaho is not usually uh, high on my list. A bit more so after I read Educated. Yes, I read Educated. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a great. It was a great book. So since Tara Westover was kind of from that. Yeah, of the I visited both places you know, on the same trip. Visited. You went to, yeah, was that, yeah, I think it was, Idaho, Clifton, I think you're right. Uh, yeah. So I went up there. Uh, I was a little nervous. I actually made a little video of the family compound and business there, but I, you know, kind of was in the rental car driving by real slow and then took off because I was afraid that they would, you know, one of the crazy brothers would come after me and beat me up or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have a big, facility now, big business, but a lot of the things she described, you can see, you know, you got kind of the junkyard is still there. And anyway, fascinating story. Yeah. The whole thing. That was, yeah. that was, a, was a great book. All right. Other, anyway, it's a whole list here. It's supposed to be a joke it says do not, not, not have sex before marriage, which I mean, it's kind of a joke, but like, yeah, we are like yeah. actually aiming for that. Uh, so I don't know if she's trying to say it's okay to have sex joke, joke. Uh, have a favorite church hymn. Watch out for Gadiant and Robbers. Also, uh, multi-level marketing schemes, which I think would be how to be a Mormon would be to actually embrace a multi-level marketing scheme. Um, turn regularly to sugar in huge quantities as your only vice. Drive to church no matter how close you live. That one's actually pretty yes. funny. Which, that's a very Utah one, but I I don't know what it's like for those who live, you know, houses up from a meeting house and they still bother to drive for some reason. And she breaks it down into gender, things the gender should be doing. Don't have porn shoulders, ladies. Don't be shrill. So pioneer bonnets. Don't chew gum in church. One piercing per ear. Uh, for the men, only wear white shirts when doing the sacrament. Do not shed tears except during testimony meeting. Do not play church ball enough to get injured. Facial hair was fine for Jesus, but not for you. Yeah. That's what she writes. That is, yes, that is, the I law. think most of that is offered. <laughs> good fun. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I saw, I saw the first comment on the comment said, What a relentlessly unpleasant and tedious chore it has yes. become to read this column. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. anyways. There we go. Funny. Anyway. So you can read that if you want, folks. Anything else? Yeah, you wanna, let's talk you just do, uh, a little bit about that. It's not that interesting, but uh, there was a, an interesting decision made by the church, according to the Tribune. They, there has been a a dude, uh, an attorney. Uh, what's his name? I want to get that right here. Mark Noggle, uh, an attorney, has been running a website called QuitMormon.com that streamlines the process for leaving the church yes. just a little bit. And, and it's for people who don't want to have to confront their bishop. And I get that. I know there are a lot of people that won't sympathize with that. But, but you know, if you make that hard decision, going and sitting down with your yeah, bishop yeah. or your stake president, kind of arguing through that would be painful. And I know the church in good 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 faith wants that to happen because they want bishops to be able to help address concerns and keep people in the faith. But uh, so Mark Noggle um, has been kind of has worked out a process that uh, eliminated the need for um, 
a notary on your letter asking for a resignation. And the premise of that skipped step, if you used right. his website, was that he was validating your identity. But the church received um, some fraudulent uh, requests. They said many fraudulent requests. They didn't uh, elaborate on many, but included one for uh, Thomas S. Monson. And so they said, we, we're we not going to put up with the silliness anymore. Uh, your submissions must come with the notary signature, just like everyone else's. So if you want to leave the church, I hope no one listening does, but no judgment if that's the case. Oh, okay. Um, if you want to leave the church without your bishop, you there is no way to do it apart from writing a letter asking to have your name removed. You can send that uh, via email. So apparently a digital copy of the notarized letter is okay, uh, but you, you have to send that to the church. And you can submit it through quitmormon.com, but you still need the notary. So that's that's an interesting um I, I do find I, I am saddened by people wanting to leave the church. Well, uh, and I, but I also kind of understand why some have. And I, so I really don't want to uh, express any more judgment than I feel they already feel. Uh, in fact, this week in, in church, our Sunday school teacher went off on wishy-washy Mormons. And her, the implication of, of her tirade, it wasn't a tirade, the, the, oh, the implication of her comment was that we all have to be stalwart. We all must be. And if we're not, we're failing in the gospel. And I just thought, I can't imagine a more uh, insulting comment to everyone in that room that heard that comment who is anything less than 100% stalwart. And um, I am a tithe-paying, temple-attending, church-going Mormon. And it stung me. Uh, And I just thought, there there must be in that room at least half, half the group must have more questions, doubts, and issues than I had. And I was stung. I just thought, man... That's just, you know, that's just not the way we should be treating people who have doubts and questions. And certainly we need to, I mean, we all know we are supposed to love Catholics. We all know we're supposed to love our friends of no faith, right? And yet when people leave the church, there's, or even doubt or question the church, we so often still treat them as the lowest form of humans. And we got to get away from that. Sorry. So I got it out of my system. No, I mean I agree. Like it's uh, it doesn't help anyone who's on the fence want to try harder when you just Yeah. I mean I get if you try to motivate people like hey, you know, don't don't doubt, like go all in on this and, and see what God has done and, and see how it goes. And that that's fair counsel, but yeah, but it doesn't help people if we just guilt them. So, I'm with you 100%. And it's interesting to me the church has gotten involved in this uh cuz a number about a month or so ago um the Verge, a tech site, ran a whole article about the business behind leaving Mormonism, and it prominently featured "quit Mormon." That was the whole thing behind it, and some of the issues. And I don't, I don't know how many people leaving the church regularly read the Verge. It's a prominent website, but I find it interesting that now the church has responded sort of within a month of that piece running. Yeah, uh, interesting. At least in my circle, they may have gotten a surge after uh, that extra attention. Yeah, they may. And I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to to leave the church, but I also agree that I think some, we make it we make it a complicated process for people who do wish to have their records removed. Yeah. And I and I think the motivation for that is good. Um, yeah, it's it is to- not it is not to be mean. It's not to be cruel. It's so that we can have that last process of saying we love you and we want you to stay. Yeah, exactly. Well, folks, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, Once again, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes in particular. If you haven't done so, that would mean the world to us and help us outrank all of the various inferior podcasts uh, that also exist for some reason. 
But, you know, here we are on our 10th season, just crushing it. But please do that. It would seriously be really great. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Devin, of course, you can find at Your Mark on the World with Devin Thorpe, making things happen. And he's he's always doing good work. I find Devin to be one of the most positive and thoughtful people I come across. So it's always a pleasure to have him here in the TWIM studio with us. So I thank you again, good sir. Jeff, thank you very much. It's an honor. It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, You are a scholar and a gentleman. I am not a scholar because I reference Wikipedia for my information. (laughs) As we all know. So everybody, we hope you have a great week. Thanks for taking the time to listen to TWIM. Be well, be holy, and be happy. This week in Mormons. This week in Mormons. This week in Mormons. This week in Mormons. The original Mormon News Podcast.